And when we got there and he got Twiggy over from South Africa, so he's caught it early. And when we got there, it was just a massive, incredibly big day. Like people go, oh, this is the biggest day ever. I don't know. Like I've been to a lot of, lot, you know, been there a lot. And this was just huge. But Ant-Man um, got a two-wave hold down at that stage. And, and pretty much if it wasn't him, I'd say someone else could have drowned for sure. And just being out there solo, it just it's just so different. Like you're the only one in the channel. So you're the rescue, you're the eyes, you're the photographer, you're everything. And then just one tow team. That's pretty amazing. And that happened... It happened a couple of times. It happened with Alfie Cater and Dave Dalroy as well. We had a, a session like that, a really big day where it was just, yeah, just that set up. And I find that kind of special because you're the only one with those shots. Hello, welcome to Speaking From Water, episode 41. I'm your host, Sean Rudke. This podcast is coming to you in collaboration with a classic. Today, we have a legendary, world-renowned photographer on the line. He's here to tell us all about his journey from firefighter to professional photographer, his days in the magazines to his uh, debut as a world-renowned artist. He is best known for his work in slab photography from Western Australia and in the lineup at the famous Wright, which is north of Perth. He is on the line, and this podcast was recorded yesterday. Uh, the, the podcast almost was lost in time as a recording mishap occurred. Uh, we were able to recover the majority of it. However, the first 10 minutes of this podcast was lost. In that 10 minutes, Russell described his early life in Perth, growing up, riding his bike to the beach, becoming very familiar with the ocean, his love of the ocean, and then his career in professional rugby. Uh, he then uh, discusses the firefighting that he did and what it taught him as far as being calm under pressure. Uh, we pick up this podcast uh, when he leaves the firefighting union in, in Perth and decides to go on to become a full-time professional surf photographer. Uh, we join this podcast now. Thank you for listening. Do not forget to subscribe, like, and follow. Enjoy. Yeah, well, I was just going through the motions for probably would have had to been 19 years you know you go to a lot of road accidents house fires a lot of deaths some more than others you can have a spate of um fatalities where you might go to three or four a week and then you don't go to any for years it's just um hit and miss but you just go through the motions you do your job and you just let it go but i was i remember being um going to a car accident once and it's just another car accident we all go to them and i was on I was like the the medical part of things, you know, like patient care on that because your job changes depending where you are on the truck. And, yeah, just sitting underneath the car helping this girl get through it who was um, dying in front of me and I just sort of started reflecting on my own life. It was quite uh, it was quite weird. Like you, it was like I was having an out-of-body experience. Like normally you just you get the job done, you go back, you have a few laughs, you have sort of black humour to get through it. 
And then, but yeah, that time I was just thinking, what was I doing under here? And then started reflecting on her life, on how she got here. And, you know, if she had breakfast for an extra 10 seconds, she'd still be alive and all the people that it affects. And so, and then I just made the switch to full-time photography from that, just from that moment. And how long had you been a firefighter before uh, that incident? 19 years. Yeah, so I was doing photography and firefighting at the same time. So it was kind of roughly at the same Probably got in the fire brigade and picked up a camera about two years later. So I was doing a bit of both and which was so good. It allowed, it took a lot of pressure off you too, because you, you had an income. You didn't have the, the pressures of trying to force the photography. And um, yeah, just, I, that was it. And just did the full change to full-time photography, which has been like that for now, probably 10 or 11 years. So to chronologically uh, get my mind into where we are right now, the the late two thousands is when you when you went full time. Yeah, so I was I got in the fire brigade when I was twenty, and I would have done nineteen years, so up until thirty nine, um, and then I quit because of that that incident, and then took up the photography, which is now eleven years ago. So I'm turning fifty this year. Crazy. Now take us take us back because I've I've heard you say that you're a surfer first, and surfing is is really what you're even more passionate about than your photography. Uh, do is that is that true? Yeah, yeah. I love to surf. I'd rather surf any day of the week than take photos. Incredible. For sure. Yeah, I, I can relate. So um, you're in the, uh, the the fire brigade, and you're a surfer. These are, you're 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 stoked on your position in life. What brought you to the camera? Um, I just got injured surfing, sort of did my knee uh, once again, not major, wasn't like a surgery related injury and, um, decided to pick up a camera to take photos of mates. A, a friend sort of just said to me, can you come down the beach? You're doing nothing apart from sitting on the couch. Can you come and take a few, few images? And so I did that and it was filmed back then. So I was a very hit and miss and <laughs> it wasn't really that good at the start. Nothing is. And, you know, I didn't really fall in love with it because you just, you're not really having a moment. You're sitting on the beach and, and shooting, but it got me out of the house. But then I borrowed a, um, a water housing off someone and then sort of fell in love with the feeling of photography from that. I mean, I'm not a creative guy. I never did art at school. I was, I was pretty average at all that sort. Of, I was very sporty. So this was kind of a job that suited me because I'd surfed. I had a lot of experience in the ocean. And um, picking up a camera and swimming wasn't, it wasn't sort of that difficult. I mean, the camera was difficult, but the ocean part, I'd already had up until then, you know, 10, 15 years of um, surfing experience. You, you knew your beaches, you knew where all the rocks were. So it was a, a, a thing of just a natural progression. Now, what I'm very uh, want to hone in on here is the transfer because you lived in a very special time between film and digital. What was it that went like when you went to digital? Was that was that a difficult thing or how did that go? Oh, it wasn't that difficult. It, I sort of made the decision early um, to go digital, and I felt it was the wrong decision. So I went digital early, thinking the writing was on the wall. Started shooting digital. Couldn't really get in. The magazines weren't accepting digital 
went back to film and by the time I went back to film, <laughs> it, they'd, they'd all wanted digital copies. You know, I used to send in your slides. You, you weren't sending them over, over the internet or anything like that. So it was... I probably wasted a lot of money. I, I could have just held off for a few few more months, six months, eight months, and then just gone from um, film to digital. So, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a hard transition. It was quite. You have to evolve in this game. Like you learn that on the go. Like everything evolves. It's quick. Is this... The technology fires fires away, doesn't it? Yeah. So was this like in the late nineties, early two thousands? Oh, no, it was probably, yeah, yeah, late 90s, 90, 99, yeah, 2000, I'd say. Incredible. So at that time, you're already getting shots that you feel that are are worthy enough to, to submit to magazines. Magazines are on the trajectory up. You know, they're, they're, they're going up and up. That's where the industry is looking. Um, when you started taking what you thought were really good photos, um, what, what, how, did, how did that arc begin as far as, uh, finding your style. Well, I would just like it. I didn't send an image to a magazine. I would probably been shooting for four years on film before I even sent one shot in. And it's very easy to compare yourself. Like you can see, you you can see, you pick up any magazine back in the day, and you're like, I'm not taking photos like that. I'm not actually as good as that. What's the point in sending in? Um, a, a shot but I did get a shot of uh, probably towards the end of the four year or five year I call it an apprenticeship of um, Tom Innes out at North Point on an absolute bomb day and no one was really swimming out there on, at that stage and um, yeah just was in the spot got lucky got the shot and sent it in and um, yeah got printed double page I think it was sort of up for the cover but <laughs> you everyone's up for a cover of, as I've learned and it just became a double page and I thought, Oh, that was good. So it, you see people like now they, they'll be shooting for 10 minutes and they're wondering why they're not getting exposure. It's, it just takes time. And I knew what my place, you, you got to know that you got to have the right surfer, right spot, right conditions. And, um, and it's easy to compare yourself with others, especially now. I mean, you just can look on social media and think, Jesus, I've got a, I've got a lot to go before I'm up to that standard. Yeah, I'd like your opinions on that here in a little bit when we get to kind of modern times. Uh, but while we're here in the past, um, the, the, the surfer in you, I, I encounter this in my own work, you know, like it's when it's good, you want to be surfing. But in those early years, when you're really like, you're not established yet. How did you force yourself to step back and take pictures? Did you go surfing first? Did you always like bring your camera to the beach and your surfboard? What was the, the mental uh, game plan? Yes, it was both. I'd always shoot first because I, I was loving it. I was love swimming out. There was, because um, you're learning, you're learning every single second. Basically, everything was like, you're shooting on spec, so you're just shooting whatever's coming up. You, a roll of film, you've got 36 shots, and you wouldn't even use the whole roll because you've got to pay for it, and you're, very, you're just looking for images. And I felt that that was amazing. And it's always a good feeling, you know, being out in pretty solid waves, swimming around on your own and just trying to get shots. So I thought that was a, a great feeling. And then when the surfers would go in, then I would surf. I could do it back then. I tend not to do it now. It's just too difficult, like 
swimming for two or three hours and then trying to um, surf, it's just like, I think I'm past it. So I'll, I'll tend to surf first and um, shoot later. Or I only really shoot surf if it's a job. So if there's a job on, I'm focused on the job. If there's no job on, I'm not shooting to get better. I'm not shooting for practice. So back then you, you're practicing all the time. You're trying to get better. You, you see shots in magazines that you've got, like, oh, how, how did they get that shot? I, I want to get that shot and see if you can do it. So you're always pushing yourself. So at that time, what were those shots that really got you stoked to want to get that, that particular shot? Was always water shots, always, because I just felt like that what, that's what surf photography is. You know, you, you're submerged in all the elements and it'd be like taking a shot of the NFL or the, the, the footy and you're on the field in amongst it. It's such a good feeling. And as a surfer, that's what you're experiencing all the time. You're going out, you're doing breath holds, you're, you're ducking under waves, you're, you're sort of pushing yourself in, in the elements. And that's why I thought those shots were amazing. And I'm, I'm looking at your, your, magazine pictures from back in this in this time period and it looks like a lot of fisheye work is that is that the, your your was that your go-to lens yeah i probably made the mistake of just doing that for pretty much the straight 10 years just because it was so enjoyable like and, i just it was for me it was having that moment as well right and for those listening that don't understand what a fisheye is with when you're shooting a fisheye you have to be as close to the subject as possible which makes uh what what's going on extremely difficult to get in in these critical positions and um when you first were using this fisheye did was that uh, like abruptly apparent that like you needed to get almost to the surfboard to get your work done yeah, you knew as soon as you got the first lot of slides back, you knew how bad you were and how good those other guys were, like Scott Aitner, like under the lit at pipe shooting that. It's, it's quite incredible. It's an amazing position to be in. Yeah, you learn pretty quickly how close you have to be. And it doesn't really take photography talent, to be honest. It, I mean, you've got to know what the camera can do. It takes a lot of um, swimming talent and ocean talent and more like a sports orientated talent than being super creative. Love it. And who else can you shout out as inspirations during that time period uh, of the Canon of Legends? Yeah, Scotty was amazing. I used to just love his work. And um, it's a shame that he probably fell off the radar when um, digital came and just got annoyed with the probably the influx of people like myself <laughs> with heaps of different crew. Um, Mickey Smith was pretty amazing. He was, he didn't really shoot wide angle, but I met Mickey, do you know Mickey Smith from Ireland? Yep. I, I only yeah. know because I, I heard you talk about him. I looked him up. Yeah. Very, very old school. Yeah. yeah. Just, a, just a really good guy and would travel with one camera, one housing and one lens of 50 mil and I, I remember seeing him in the early days at Slabs and he was swimming all day at those places. You know, he's not actually in the impact. Well, he kind of is sometimes, but yeah, just an incredible um, talent, very creative. And 
where you live is kind of like the slab capital of, of the world, some might say. Uh, Margaret River has the box, and you famously have uh, photographed the right. And uh, what what was the uh, the trajectory to get you to these slabs, or were you right out there because of your of your talent and your um, knowledge of these of these spots? So it sort of got lucky at a, at the time. It was I wanted to um, shoot a couple of toe surfers just in Margaret River, not really at slabs, but really big bombies. So I was just talking to Courts the other day. I surfed with him in the morning, and um, we were having a laugh about it because he was out with his tow partner surfing uh, Marg's bombie, and it was a massive day. And I got this housing design. This is still film days to put like a 300 mil in there so I could go out and shoot big waves from the from the channel. And so we did that, got got a big board, paddled out and um, didn't even get the camera out of the bag. I had a backpack on and a set came through, it was huge and put me on the bottom of the ocean. And then my backpack filled up with water. I took 36 shots inside the bag because the trigger went got swept back into the well, the lagoon in the end. And I felt like, a, you know, it was quite a near death experience from um, drowning. And I got back to the beach and just said, to be able to do this type of work, I need to join in and, and got a ski. And so I got the ski and just fell into it, just by luck fell into that sort of, I've got a ski, let's go exploring sort of. And when the magazine started, everything was new. I was at the forefront with a couple of others. And so basically anything you point your camera at was getting, getting a run. So I was shooting a lot from the ski with a longer lens back then. Yeah. I, I vividly remember I was a college kid here in Wrightsville beach and I would see these pictures and they, they would blow my, my mind. And, and you're, you're out there, you're discovering them. We're in the middle of the early two thousands. Uh, how was that being on the forefront? Was that just an incredible time period looking back? Was that a golden age? Yeah, it was amazing. But I would take my hat off to a couple of other photographers and, and, and especially the bodyboarders. They seemed to explore a little harder than us. I mean, with, I was only really documenting surfing and we'd find a spot and we'd kind of stick to it. And you want to explore, but the surfers didn't want to miss out in the spot where the bodyboarders, they would give up a good day to find another spot, even if obviously you're going to miss out 99% of the time. But it was, um, and I'm still exploring. I've done a couple of trips last year, but mainly exploring for weird types of water, unsurfable waves. But it's, um, yeah, it was pretty amazing. And then you get known for shooting slabs because, like I said, all the magazines are running them. And yeah, it's just started getting my name out there from doing that type of work. Well, as we're on the subject of bodyboarders, Ryan Hardy was on the program a few weeks ago and I DM'd him and he gives you a special shout out as to uh, doing something that really takes people to a special place that no one else uh, would be able to see without you delivering them these visuals. And um, and I, I thought that was, that was a very nice of him to, to, to say about your work. Uh, to tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, you're a surfer, you respect bodyboarders uh, in the United States. There's there's bodyboarding. It really isn't a big thing because we don't really have the slabs, especially on the on the East Coast. Um, tell us about your your 
cultural uh, conviction towards them as far as their their gnarliness? Well, take, take Ryan, for instance. I was out at the ride. I was on the ski. I launched super early because I wanted to shoot empties basically as the sun come up. And next you know, Ryan's out there paddling. He paddled from the beach. Like, how do you not respect that? Who's doing that? Like, that's just madness. And so I'm like, oh, do you want to get on the ski? And he's like, no, nah, I'm just going to paddle into a few. So, you know, they talk about all these things that have happened in the past and you know that, that's got to be mentioned like Ryan paddling from the beach out there and then paddling into the right before even people were talking about it it is is just madness so you've just got to respect it's I sort of found a healthy respect for what people do like at an early age like no matter what it is because unless you do it you just, you just don't know. Like, I just remember this time when I was um, through my football days, uh, we went and trained with uh, a really high-end football club, Aussie Rules Club, and I thought I was going to blow these guys out of the water. I was that fit. Nah. Yeah, I learned very quickly just my place in the pecking order in running around an oval when I came up against. And I, I just didn't realise how good these guys were. And that's like anything. You got to just take your hat off to to people that excel in any parts of their life, because it's just um, yeah, just it's just mind blowing. Like I'm like being a critic and sitting in your seat and criticizing someone when you've never done it, it that just doesn't sit well with me. And one one thing Ryan was really talking about was the aesthetic of the right and the feeling of that environment. Uh, take us to the time you first visited this spot. When was it? And um, how did you feel going into this location? Well, the first time, well, I'll take you back a little bit further. The Where the bodyboarders um, found it, it was it was a weird. We, I went down the coast. I was shooting the surfers and we seen the bodyboarders come into town. And we're like, okay, we're going to end up in the same spot again tomorrow. And so we got to this other other slab and they weren't there. We surfed. It was a great day. We've got some amazing um, images. The next day we go back there thinking we'll go to another slab and we had this lady come down and she goes, oh, you the guys um, surfing out such and such. And I'm like, nah. And so we didn't put two and two together and, and thinking, oh, okay, the bodyboarders were somewhere. And then the magazine come out and so we knew exactly where the spot was as soon as the mag came out because this lady happened to be walking past. And, you know, this is super remote. And she must have travelled there and she was watching and basically gave up the spot to us the very next day. And so when the shots come out, we were blown away on how good it was. We, we couldn't even believe we hadn't found it because it's it was so close to so many spots that we'd, um shot in the past and take that's that's pretty much been the best find so then it was just a matter of waiting for another swell and um yeah we ended up being on that so it was and i was yeah it was it was incredible because a lot of the slabs here that we found in the past there's always something wrong with them like it's either too shallow or it's got a bubble in it and, or it's too dangerous with the right it, it's dangerous because it's big 
but it's it's surfable compared to some of the other slabs that we've gone to. Like if you're going to fall off, obviously you're going to you're getting flogged. In, it's a deep deep water wave. Like a lot of the other slabs, you can go there from one foot to 10, 15 foot. I'm just talking back. So it's quite big. It's breaking all the time. Whereas the right, it doesn't even break until it gets to like a, a pretty solid swell. So that's why you can drive past it. People, fishermen fish on the right and you wouldn't even know there's a wave there and the beaches will be quite solid around it. So yeah, you can, you can, you can miss it easy. But it's, um, yeah, it's a special way for that because the surface can really get quite deep there and go pretty hard compared to like, like a Cyclops. Cyclops is just crazy. Incredible. So when was the first time you heard about the right? Well, it was that lady on the beach. The lady. We okay. Came... So we're talking about the right yeah. here. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. Heard, I saw the air that's quotes. The first... I didn't know if that's what we were, we were talking about. Yeah, the right was the, the lady on the beach gave the uh, bodyboarders position away. and um, But it was probably, it had to be um, three or four months until the mag came out. And then that's when we like, oh, shit. These guys have found, that's where they were. So we knew exactly where they were. And I think that was uh, Whitey and Phil Gallagher. Do you know Phil from Aquatech? I do, and, yes. Uh, couple of the bodyboarders that were just charging at the time. So we were all sort of competing for spots, looking for spots at, during that time, but they, they found the pinnacle. And, and what year is this now? Oh, I have no idea. It was probably early 2000s. Incredible. Yeah, a while ago. And I, and I, I just only asked, you know, to put this chronologically in order because uh, – Ryan was speaking of of this, I think this same period of him going out by himself and actually seeing you. So that, that that's pretty cool cross pollination there. Uh, now, what did, what was the 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 best session you had at that location since then? Oh, it's a tough one. I haven't been shooting it for maybe the last three or four years, so I haven't been bothered because it felt like I've I've done so much there, but. Um, the most, the best session, it could have just been like a, a single session with, uh, Paul Ant-Man Patterson and, um, Twiggy Baker. Yeah. We kind of got it on our own. So that, now, that was pretty crazy. Can you speak to that craziness and describe this, this arena during that situation? It was just one of those um, swells where it didn't look like it was going to be on. And um, Ant-Man, he just, he seems to be able to call these like swells and wins himself. So he, he organized the, the, the trip on this one. And when we got there and he got Twiggy over from South Africa, so he's caught it early. And when we got there, it was just a massive, incredibly big day. Like people go, oh, this is the biggest day ever. I don't know, like I've been to a lot of, lot, you know, been there a lot and this was just huge. But Ant-Man um, got a two-wave hold down at that stage and, and pretty much if it wasn't him, I'd say someone else could have drowned for sure. And just being out there solo, it just it's just so different. Like you're the only one in the channel. 
So you're the rescue, you're the eyes, you're the photographer, you're everything. And then just one tow team. That's pretty amazing. And that happened, it happened a couple of times, happened with Alfie Cater and Dave Dalroy as well. We had a, a session like that, a really big day where it was just, yeah, just that set up. And I find that kind of special because you're the only one with those shots and you're the only one that's seen it, which I find amazing because you can go down there now and there's 30 photographers in the channel all shooting the same lens in the same spot. It doesn't feel as good, not to me anyway. Wow. Like the, the pioneer aspect of it alone is just absolutely in, in, incredible. Um, when you show up on at a scene like that, what is the water that you're looking for that really gets you most excited? Back then I was just shooting the surface moments, so it was easy for me. I just wanted to make sure I was safe in the channel and, and in a good spot where I can get the best best images at the time. So and you can tell straight away when you get there, you're like, oh shit, it's huge. You know, something's gonna be happening. So it, you're basically just capturing surfers moments. It wasn't until I started um, trying to swim the place that I was looking for different things. I was looking for, you know, like, it's just a total different feeling. Like you'll get there and it's gray and gloomy and massive. I'm not getting in the water. Like, cause I think I'm gonna get eaten. If I've got a feeling where it's just not good, I'm not getting in. Whereas if you're on the ski, you get there, you just start shooting, take the camera, out of the case and and just pick off anything that moves so it's just a total different um look and feel when you're between shooting off the ski and swimming so it sounds like your mythology of how or your methods of how you uh, attack the situation evolved and changed um and in the beginning do i have this right that so the surfer was your main subject and then the empty waves was an evolution or did you did you kind of how did that process go to you going just into the the empty shots that are more aesthetic and um some would say artistic no i've always done that i've always shot empties like but it was just a it was more the um shooting longer lens to the wide angle but yeah and it, I prefer to shoot empties and surfers because I just love the look of empties and I've always done it, especially waves here. They like, if you get there early enough and, and the slabs, they look, they're just mind blowing. And the sound, the surfers were just a bonus. <laughs> you could put them in the mag or you could get published or you, you need the surfers to make the, mo the money, to be honest, you know, cause they have sponsors and sponsors pick them up. And it's, it's more like a job where the empties is like your thing. It's a special thing. You're looking for just different elements. You're looking for textures. You're, you're looking for shape and light where the, the surfers, you're just shooting whatever they're doing. Like you have to do what they're doing. They're the athlete and you're documenting it as, as well as you can. Whereas the empties, you sort of have the control on what you want to shoot and what you want to get. Like you, a surfer gets a wave and you, and you miss the slab of his life. It's like the end of the world for them. Like, so you need to be shooting everything, especially those so that, you know, some of those waves probably are the waves of their life. So you just, you're doing it. You're doing a good as job as you can for those guys. But the empties are always special to me. They always sit deepest in your heart. 
And uh, you you have a, a famous movie that that came out a number of years ago called One Shot. And I understand it, it took um, years to, to make. Um, first of all, awesome movie. Congratulations. I, I know that probably did a, a, a lot as far as like worldwide recognition. It was done so well. Uh, how was that having the cameras around with your family and then having the process of the film being over the course of um, such a period of time? Yeah, it was a learning curve for, for myself and Darren, the filmer. Well, Darren was, he was, he only just started filming. That was basically his first project. And um, I'd met him at like a surf comp where he got employed to shoot the surfing and he came up and asked for some advice. And I said, don't shoot surfing if you want to make money. <laughs> and then we became friends and he said, um, you know, did I have any projects? And I said, oh, well, I was looking at, um swimming down at the right i've been training for that and he goes oh, i'd love to you know do a little two minute five minute clip on youtube and then it evolved into that but yeah you just for me and him our relationship was like because he was evolving with his work and you know he wants to he wanted to reshoot a lot of stuff on better cameras as you do and i just wouldn't do it like it's just this is what happened it's the story and they can take it or leave it. So <laughs> it probably, I probably did his head in a few times, but he had a couple of good experiences out at the right shooting and um, yeah, it was good for him. So he's done pretty well since then and he's full-time filmer now and I love his work. Yeah. He's, he's a really good storyteller. And it, it, what I took away a lot of it was you kind of went from like a, a mag shooting orientation to an um aesthetic water art artist orientation and where where in there was the um i was there like an abrupt change where you're like all right i'm fully just going to embrace the this water aesthetic and not even worry about what the surfers are doing or was it always hand in hand yeah, it was just more like going from shooting every moment to having a moment, really. Like if you're shooting wide angle, as you know, like if you're on the beach and you're shooting with a 600 mil, you can barely ever miss a shot. You use a 50 mil, you're swimming in the channel. You know, you can miss, you can be out of the spot, you're in rips, you're swimming, and then you're shooting wide angle, you can miss everything. You're just never in the spot. So it was kind of like that. And you've got to look at your work at some stage and go, it just wasn't evolving. Like I was shooting every single moment from the ski with a 200 mil, 70 to 200. This is not difficult to do. And do you want a hard drives full of those shots? And it was, you know, I mean, I just don't want to do it. Like it's just, I'm not having a moment. It's just boring. So, and that took me a while to figure out that, um, I had to go back to my roots and why, why did I like surf photography? And, and, you know, we discussed it in the past. It was more the wide angle thing. And I was just like, you know, can you do that here? Can you, can you shoot wide angle at the right? Probably not. You wouldn't think so. And then just, and then it just evolved from there. So I would swim at the right and you'd be swimming for three hours, which is a mistake. I learned a lot on the, on the go, but, and you wouldn't even get a shot. You would miss so much. You'd miss everything. But if you got one shot, is that one shot more special than the three million other shots you've got? For me, it is because you can look back and see effort. 
and seeing what's there's there's a story behind it and it's not always the best shot like i've got shots where I, that are i know that are amazing and are difficult to get and then i see the the 50 mil or the 70 to 200 mil version of the same wave it's so much better <laughs> it looks so good and so big because the wide angle nearly makes the wave look smaller like it, it, i don't know where the transition is it makes small waves look big and big waves look small so but yeah when you get one of those shots you are pretty stoked on it and i've probably got maybe i don't know 15 or 20 wide angle shots that are pretty special and and they're the most unique in the world because of of this experimentation that you the artist did it's like a, a jackson pollock dripping for the first time it sounds like it was like this thing is new and you're out there doing it. What was that first session like where you swam out with the, the wide angle? Were you in your mind just like, here we go. This, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're doing this. It was pretty scary feeling just getting off the ski. You're a long way out. It's renowned for great white. So I remember being pretty like um, fearful for sure. And I know what fear is, but um, I still had to get over it, I had to overcome it. But I did get a couple of shots like borderline images. Um, but I was always a little tentative, I'd say, of trying to swim right in the impact zone. It's such a fine line. Like you go over the threshold and you're copping bombs on the head. And if you're not close enough, you might as well be sitting on your ski. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, um, have you ever been to Tahiti at Chopes? similar to that like you know how close the boats are they they basically you can nearly be shooting wide angle there and they're running you over it's um it's that kind of fine line and it's not like you can't um handle the the wipeouts because i've had a lot of them there but it's just the you it's wherever your fear factor is like you to have a really good um breath hold and uh like a wipeout, you need to be relaxed. You need to be able to bring the rev meter back down and it's quite difficult there because you're pushing boundaries. Like if I'm out at Margs and it's 10 foot, um, which is 20 foot or whatever it is, uh, that's kind of comfortable. So the rev meter doesn't go up, but when you're at the right and it's 20 foot and it's 30 foot thick and a wave's coming, you're in the wrong zone. If you don't get that heart rate back down or you don't start thinking properly, the hold down journey is going to be awful. <laughs> so it's a real, it's a real personal challenge on um, overcoming fear. Can you bring us to one of those really big hold downs you had at the right? And cause I I've seen the footage and it's out of control. I mean, the waves that are coming down on top of you are just enormously powerful. Uh, bring us to what that feels like. Well, it's, I remember the first really bad one where um, it's not really a wider set, but it was a little wider than normal. And I had Darren there, the filmer. They, a ski had enough time to go in and pick him up and pick up a few of the photographers that were kind of on the shoulder. That's where it was. So I ended up being right in the zone, like in the middle, I'm done. And I remember thinking, oh, this could be it. Like, this is like, going to be the worst 
hold down I've ever had in my life. And I found I couldn't really get that rev meter back down. Like I knew what I had to do. I knew what sort of breaths I needed to take. And I had a little bit of time. That's the thing about surfing and photography. You do have time. The surfers, everything is instant. Like you fall off, it's, you haven't had the breath, you haven't had the good breath or anything like that. Whereas I knew I was in trouble. So I got a pretty decent breather and went under and I felt the pressure and all the, and it just wasn't that bad. <laughs> if it was, it was quite good in the end. It was a really good um, hold down, but I, was, I had breathed up so well, it became pretty basic. And so I got a lot of confidence from that one because I don't, I don't think I've ever been in that position again in so brutal. Because that's the thing, like I was saying, but I'm, I'm only taking the shot when I'm 99% sure I'm going to get something. Other than that, I'm swimming under or I'm swimming through. Or I'm, I'm not even bothering. I'm not taking, if I'm in the spot and I know I'm going to get the shot, I'll, I'll have a crack. And if you go over the falls and you're going over the falls towards the end of the wave, you're not going over the falls like sometimes where the surfers go down. So it's not that bad. Like there's a, I think there's a fine line at the right. If you fall off, you can get churned in the zone. And that's probably just a metre square or two metres square. If you're on the other side of that, it will push you down the line. It's a hole down and it's, it's brutal, but there's, um, there's levels to it. What is the breath work that you do in that situation? So... If, you, if I give you an example, if you're in front of that wave, you instantly, you rev me, you're up, you're going up, your heart rate, you're fearful, instantly fearful, like this is this could be it. And then you've got to go back into your training. So it's just a matter of, okay, I need to get into relaxation. It's like people getting in an ice bath or something like that. Okay, I need to breathe through this. So I need to just concentrate on my breath. As soon as I concentrate on my breath, I cannot be fearful because I'm, I'm thinking of the breaths coming in. I have, you know, this 15 seconds to do this, and then I'm taking what I call a full lung breath or a performance breath. So I'm filling up all the chambers and I'm going down, and then I go into, like, positive mental anchors. So for me, I start listening for sounds and I start putting pictures to it. Instead of, oh, this is coming... You see it all the time. You see it with servers out at marks. Oh, shit, I'm in trouble. And then the wave comes. They've been panicking. I'm relaxed underwater. I let it do its thing. I come up, and that's the breath hold journey. You can you can have the worst breath hold journey in the world, or you can have like a meditation journey, and that's where I've got to with my um, breath holding. And I practice it from one foot to every anytime I'm in the surf, I'm always practicing this breath hold journey. And was this and something? Sort of, sorry, you go. I was going to say, was this something you you learned early, or was it uh, over time that you found it? Well, I when I decided to swim with the ride, I started looking for practitioners to train under. So um, I just wasn't rocket science. You saw what the big wave surfers were doing, and just copied them because that's what I would need. And then I, like I said, for me, I get that full aspect of it because I get that 10 or 15 seconds to make decisions where surfers like they're out of jaws and all of a sudden they're off. They have to go into their, whatever their journey is and how they're training is instant. Whereas I get that little bit of a breathe up. So I find like I'm in a better position than they are, but 
yeah, so I found it probably 12 or 15 years ago and I just can't believe crew haven't done that for all parts of their life. It transitions into everything. Like when I was playing rugby league, I never learned how to breathe properly, how to relax, how to, you know, what fear is or anything like that. Even in the fire brigade, you're doing, you say you have confined space rescue, you're having trap procedures, you trap, this is what you do. But if you're sucking the life out of your air, you're going to die earlier. That's just the way it is. It's like some people when they do start scuba, and you go down with your scuba instructor, they both go down on the same amount of air, but the new student after 10 minutes needs to go up because their alarm's going off because they're out of air. The instructor has barely even sucked any life out of their tank and it's the same thing with your lungs. So you need to, you need to be relaxed in those situations and it can be for anything. Like you're doing a talk with someone or you're doing a talk in front of a group you can get anxious, you can get fearful. Oh, what do they think about me? Or you can just concentrate on your breath. Calm down, keep calm, make the, make the breath hold journey a lot better. Could you do that for us right now and show us how it's done? So if I'm um, in front of a wave and I've made the decision, I, like I'm surfing out at Margs and I can't paddle out outside like where i surf i sort of surf in the mid-range so i'm always copping sets so one guy he's paddling for the shoulder even though he will never make the shoulder so now he's using all his oxygen his big muscles whereas i am i'm just breathing through my nose and exhaling through my nose for tripling the exhale so i'm i'm just relaxing because and i'm not moving and then i'll take a full lung breath like and then I go down just before the wave hits me, push my board out of the wave, let the wave do its thing. I've got a full lung and then I'm starting to listen for sounds and putting pictures to it. We both come up at the same time, another wave's coming. So I'm doing the same sort of process. He's used 50% of his oxygen. Now he's in trouble for the second one. Then the third one comes up. By the time I'm coming up, I'm like, oh, this is the best day of my life. I'm so relaxed. So we've done the same journey, whereas my journey was peaceful and his one was in fear. And he's, he's just like using his legs. He's trying to get to the top, whereas I can just relax through it. And that's just through training. I mean, it's, um, we train, I train through shark eyes. We, we do this with, we started with big wave surfers on, and that, um, and then it sort of evolved into anyone that goes into the ocean. It's, um, it's quite peaceful, but you and can I, get there. And I've heard you, you might even do this before you public speak or even in traffic while you're driving. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially in traffic, I just went up to Perth the other day and I, I catch myself all the time. Like you can, it's just a different world. You come from the country to the city and they're cutting you off and they're beeping at you and, you can get angry or you can just let it go and, and just concentrate on your breathing. <laughs> I think I use it more in traffic than I do in the surf these days. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I'm sure everyone listening can relate. And in those positions, are you, are you just focusing on the movement or are you doing a hold? As in, um, oh, when I'm driving? Yeah. Or under the water? No, no, I don't do too many 
I just I just concentrate on the breath going in and out when I'm driving. There's no breath holds when I'm driving. So you, all na- all nasal, no no mouth. Or nasal on the land, yeah. Water, I'll use my mouth, but on land, it's just all nose. So it's a real simple one. If you want to relax, just count your breaths in. And if it's like three seconds or, you know, a nice slow three seconds, just make it nine seconds out. And it's just that simple. I mean, there's, I'm no guru at it. There's hundreds of different ways to do it. Like I do a lot of different ways where I'll, I'll breathe in, I'll hold up the top, I'll exhale like five times the length and hold on the bottom. Do that a lot when I go to sleep. There's, um, have you seen that book that come out, Breath? No. Uh, you got to read it. Oh, he, no, I, just... I did. I, I heard it on, on the radio of, of the author. Yeah. I haven't read it. Yep. Yeah. Different different cultures and different breathing. So it's been around forever. I'm, I'm not um, saying anything that hasn't been done in the past a million times. I just wish I'd, I learned it when I was a kid. Epic. And are, are you a, a pool swimmer, a lap swimmer, or is everything in the ocean? No, everything's in the ocean. I find I'm just not good at um, swimming <laughs> in a pool. I find it quite boring. I take my hat off to people that get up in the morning, especially Olympic swimmers, at, at, and just do laps and go hard. Yeah, no, I just prefer to be active. I'll go for a surf. Sometimes I'll go for a swim down the beach if it's super flat, but I'll tend to like go free diving or diving than um, having a swim, go and get some dinner or something like that, make it a little bit more active. Epic, dude. So I want to contrast the depth of the right to your your time spent in Tahiti. You mentioned earlier, and how the two bottoms of the of the of the surface there change your your feeling and your ability to shoot in those locations. Yeah, I'm more fearful of chokes on a big day for sure. Yeah, because it's it's not really a breath hold journey. It's like a, a journey of bouncing off the bottom in sharp coral. It's a, just a different different wave. So, yeah, you. it's just so shallow. Like, it's just totally different. So I take my hat off to all those guys getting amazing shots there. I mean, I've had a couple there, which I'm pretty proud of, but it's when it gets to sort of toe size, um, you're really pushing it if you're shooting wide angle there because you're going over the falls and you're getting bounced. You, there's no... There's no real breath hold journey. I mean, it's probably not as violent as the right. Oh, it's hard to say. But when you're getting bounced off the bottom, that just changes everything for me. You know, you got to be. You got to be. I've got bounced off a lot of reefs around here. Um, it's difficult. What What was that like getting bounced in Tahiti? And like, where were you sitting? Well, I've got a. You know, Dom over there, Dominic, Mascara. Oh yes, the local photographer, really yep. incredible guy. Incre- like he's one of my favourite um, photographers and people. He's just an amazing bloke. So I've had a lot of. You go over there and you start working with crew like that. They can give you some advice. It's um, it's interesting, but you you always need to push your own boundaries, whatever they are, and um, and it just depends what sort of work you're doing. Like if I'm going over there to shoot um, personal stuff, if if I was. I'd probably shoot it a little bit different, but if I'm going over there, if I'm working for, well, I'm not working for any mags these days, but if you're working for a magazine or a brand, you need to be able to um, shoot 
what they want, you know, the style they want for their branding and stuff like that. So I know Dom, he's got like millions of different types of um, images from Tahiti and they're pretty special. And you've also been to, to Pipeline, you've, you've shot Pipeline. Uh, tell us about what it was like going to Hawaii for the first time. And did that kind of like give you uh, um, some chops or were you already feeling proficient when you entered there, that arena? I, was, I, I went there for Quicksilver, like Quicksilver Australia. And um, I remember they had like a, not quite an eddy swell the day before. I think a lot of guys went to Jaws. And so the next day at um, Pipe was quite solid. And I, I swam back door and got a couple of good shots. But it's, um, it's a hard yard. It's like there's a lot of crew there shooting, you know, and it's their spot. So I have a lot of respect for the locals. Um, I remember just on a day where basically anyone could swim was I ended up getting a pretty decent shot and just using the photographers as part of the image, like doing splits. That was pretty good. You're not going to go out of pipe. It's like, it'd be like surfing it. It's kind of like that with the photographers. You're not going to go to pipe and then start shooting in front of everyone under the lip. I know if that was my spot and I've had um, words with photographers say at the box, that they're trying to tell me I can't do this and can't do that. And I'm like, I live up the road. I can pretty much, I've been here for 20 years. I can do that. And that's kind of like pipe. You get that feeling where you need to, they put you back in the pecking order. And so you just go with the flow and um, enjoy what it has to offer. Cause there's, you know, the, the whole world is watching pipe. So there's a lot of, a lot of crew shooting and a lot of crew um, surfing. So they're going to have their own challenges for sure. So, you know, you've got the Zach Noyles and the Brian and the Brent, Bill the Brent Billmans and stuff like that who are just incredible water crew as well. Like, you're not going to push in front of those guys. So and I wouldn't you're, do it anyway. And, and what was that like getting off the plane the first time, going over the hill, smelling the smell, hearing the chickens? What Were you just, like, full of stoke? Were, were, did you have a anxiety about getting the shot because you were there with Quicksilver and um, kind of what was your mentality? I was pretty lucky at that time. They took two photographers. So we had, um, well, I had um, Jolly. It might have been, actually, it might have been for Tracks Mag as well. So my job was a lot different than Jolly's, which was good. So Jolly's, um, you know, his brief would have been like the competition and every single moment whereas i could shoot everything around it like so i didn't have to concentrate on that so that gave me that sort of freedom to do what i wanted i mean jolly had the freedom to do that too but he definitely needed to i'm trying to think what happened that year you know he had to get the moments of say mick had won and coming up the beach and all that stuff whereas i didn't have those pressures jolly had jolly had the harder job I could just sort of do whatever I wanted, go and shoot a free surf and go and swim. And if I didn't get the shot, it didn't matter because I knew Jolly was getting it. So it was it was good. Was Pipe at that time uh, the, the place you went or were you like into off the wall or some other of the spots um, around around that? Yeah, I just sort of roamed, but I was concentrating on Pipe when it was when it was good and got it. Um, it wasn't out of control, crazy size. So um, it wasn't that difficult. One day was, and um, but apart from that, it was just it was just a good feeling of being out there and, and meeting other crew, 
other photographers that are trying to make a living because there's a lot there and they all do incredible work. But, you know, I tried to swim sunset once. That didn't go that well. <laughs> you, there's a lot of current there. Have you swam there? Yeah, I almost died there one time. I, I got saved by a lifeguard. It was 20 foot and uh, I should have been out. And I got a brand new housing, the one behind me. Uh, that's retired and uh, it was like 2006 and it was just a, a terrible yeah. terrible terrible time um yeah got it got held down three times the whole lineup got washed out uh i thought i was gonna die um a lifeguard came out very very awesome guy we both paddled to the beach and uh then his captain came up and just proceeded to just chew me out and um i was just thankful that i was breathing it on the beach so i took it yeah yeah I was going to do that at Waimea on a, on a swell. I went down there and um, I was just going to shoot 50 and I watched it like I always watch the surf before uh, and see what it's like. And I watched this lifeguard who was incre incredibly fit and incredible, amazing swimmer, no housing with flippers, struggling to get in, didn't get in the first time in the corner, did a massive loop, basically body surfed a smaller one and got pushed in the corner and just went, nah, I'll be getting rescued if I come out here. Because just like what, what happened to you. Dude, I was out there the previous year and I had this little box water housing and I was killing sunset swimming out there. And it was only, it was like 10 foot and I got great footage of like some classic dudes. Um, Yeah, and I thought I was the man. And then I, I bought my new housing and I went out there and this was, you know, when Hawaii's rainy and you can't get anything, it was like that yeah. kind of trip. And um, yeah, so I got smoked and it took me like two more years to like even paddle out at sunset. And even then I just was like hurting, but I'm not as hard as you. And I would like to know, like, what's your story that it was like the most gnarly where you're like, I, I nearly died. Yeah, I mentioned that time where I paddled out with the surfboard and, and shot that tow team. That was that was pretty close. And I hadn't had any training up until that point. It was just more off the cuff. So I got pretty close then. I remember being on the bottom going, I need to drop this backpack and, and lose the camera because I'm not going to get up. The backpack filled with water. It was like a weight belt. Um, and then I started spewing a bit of salt water when I came up. So I was pretty close at that time. Photography-wise um apart from that you know that's got to be the closest and i've had a i've had a day out at margs prior to training um where i was copping a few on the head where i was like god if there's one or two more i could be in trouble but apart from that it's been um pretty good especially since the training the training is everything that that like i said makes that breath hold journey so much easier so it's, it's the training, knowing, knowing your limits. And I, I think that's just like the key words of wisdom to, to everybody. Yeah, definitely knowing your limits and um, when to push them is important. You've got to push your limits so you grow. So you're always going to put yourself in a little bit of a, a situation, whatever that means for, for you, like, you know, going out at sunset at that size, I'm sure your heart rate was going and, um, and not, sort of crossing the T's and dotting the I's, I call it. So if you've got a goal, you've got to work towards it. Like when I swam the right and, and did all that, that was a build-up of probably 20 years of ocean experience and 15 years. I, I, I could already swim at North Point like it was 
a walk in the park, like maxing North Point, closing out, not a big deal. Like I wouldn't jump from a two foot beach here to a 20 foot right because you're going to be out of your league for just to get a shot for social media. You'll die. Like you've got to um, like surfing. You start as a kid surfing the whitewash, one foot, two foot, and you just, you progress until you don't. And some people just keep progressing until they're surfing. Look what they're doing now. It's mind blowing, like paddling into jaws and stuff like that. It's um, how do you get to that level? You need to you need to build up to it. There's no, you you can't jump. You just can't jump into it. Just it's just a full build up. So most of your uh, your full catalog, what was it? Was it created uh, post when you kind of like stepped away from the mags and were were focused on the the slabs or. Um, how, how, how did you build what you have today? Just over time, I'm always shooting, um, even with the magazines, like I said before, you, you're shooting empties and you're shooting lifestyle. And now it's mainly just trying to focus on weird parts of the water. I'm just still trying to find different parts of the ocean, ocean to shoot and not so much surface. But yeah, it's just a build up over, over time. It's just evolved. You can see like, I mean, like you can, you see your early workout and it just changes. You start seeing different things in the ocean to shoot. And plus I have a gallery here in Marge. So I've kind of, you know, I'm, I'm shooting a lot of textures and color that maybe I wasn't looking for in the past. So that's good. You know, makes you look at things differently for photos, photography, I feel like I do, I have a, um, a foundation for kids. So, and they just, they start and they start shooting, but, and even they've said, you know, when they've got the camera, they start looking at things differently. You know, that might be a good photo. It's quite a good feeling. It, it takes you back to the early days. That'd be, oh, you, you drive past a tree and you think, oh, I've got to get a shot of that. <clears throat> Looks good. That's where the ocean is at for me at the moment. So I'll, I'll tend to do a couple of solo um, trips down the coast and see if I can find some weird water to shoot. And if I don't, it doesn't matter because it's just a good feeling. I love I love that term you coined, weird water. And wh what is it about the water that, that makes you just explode when you see that file? Um, I guess describe the colors, the textures that just um, unload in your heart. Yeah, it's it's weird because you like you could be you could find like you could drive to Cyclops. Are you familiar with Cyclops and and shoot some like that just does something different every time um but you drive past a lot of different waves that you might have not shot in the past and so yeah i'm just looking for that perfect light and the perfect balance between the the ocean and the wind and the and the swell and and see if i can be in the right place at the right time it's just a it when you're on your own and you don't have any distractions it's a good thinking time too like you're not under pressure, you just you're shooting for yourself. If you don't get it, it doesn't matter. Come back at another day. So yeah, that's the sort of place I'm in at the moment. And it's just it's just a nice to get away, get off the grid, get off the phone. I start having most of my growth during those times because obviously I've got no distractions. So I get you can get bored if you're not if you're not shooting in the ocean and I'm not doing surf stuff. So it's just just the feeling of photography. 
it's uh, that's the best part these days. I mean, I still would like to push a few things, um, but I haven't got any goals to capture anything of essence, I'd say, at the moment. There's nothing on the radar. I did have something on the radar, which I won't go into, and then I just cop an injury going too hard and it put me out for a couple of years, and, and now I just don't know if I could do it. But you can't say what that is. Well, I was thinking, well, I can say it. I was thinking Jaws end bowl with a fisheye um, quite a while ago. So I was making a lot of inquiries with a couple of mates over there. But I've seen a 50 mil shot. I just thought a paddle shot of Jaws, fisheye, end bowl, someone on a 10-foot board would be quite special. And I don't know. I could get there and just go, no way in the world that's happening. You're getting swept in the zone. And you've got to be responsible. You don't want to be getting um, saved every second. You know, you've got to be responsible for your own actions. Can it be done? I'm not. I'm not too sure. And it probably has been done. I just. I'm just out of the loop. But so because for me, it's just. I'm not claiming to be first at anything because it's probably been done in the past. Probably been done years ago. I just haven't seen it. It's more of a feeling for myself and. Um, I still wanted to do Mavericks as well, but it's, uh, yeah, that's definitely off the radar. It's just hard to do it. I went there twice to do it and it was never really, it just, just the wrong feeling. I just like, oh, I'll probably die doing this. <laughs> what about say more, uh, famous slab waves that, that, uh, um, you know, Mulgamore comes to mind, um, uh, the, Riley's possibly in, in Ireland waves that aren't uh I guess known for their size like a Nazare but but a slab thick slab that you're very accustomed to are those tantalizing yeah I love loved, I love the light of some of those I definitely go over and try to shoot some textures or empties over there and, and meet the crew then I know a lot of Irish crew and Scottish crew and they're just great you know, they're just loving life. So it'd be more the experience for that. And if I get a few waves, it'd be a bonus. But yeah, it's not nothing on the radar. I mean, we've got a lot, a lot of slabs here. And there's a lot of slabs that you can go and find as well down the coast. So there's there's heaps. There's, and and you can be on your own, you know. So it's um, totally different. But yeah, I would love to get over there and, and just sort of hang out with the crew that surf it. Epic. And I love what you're saying about the process of just going out. And what kind of came to my mind is, do you ever talk to yourself as in like, oh, I kind of know what it's going to be like. I'm not going to go and then maybe have regret or times where you're like, no, I'm going no matter what, even though I think it might be cloudy, but it, it might clear up. Um, like, how do you schedule your your mindset for those processes? I think you just got to um, work with what you've got. Like if you've got two weeks off and you, you've set that time, you just you just go and do it no matter what. Like I don't have the fear of missing out. Like I know a lot of crew here or photographers that are still shooting the right, exactly the same thing they were doing 10 or 15 years ago. And if a swell's coming, they, they need to get there. The fear of missing out is unbelievable. Whereas I'd rather go and try to find something else. And if I don't find anything, I just feel like that journey just feels so much better than shooting the same stuff as everyone else is shooting. It's like, I, I take my hat off to the crew that are shooting pipe. Like how do you, how do you get the, um, 
energy to shoot it sometimes when you're standing next to 10 other people shooting the same thing with the same lens. It's like, I don't know, I find that quite boring and difficult. I'd find that difficult. And I know they're making a living. I know they're working, so they have to do it. But um, I'm in a position where I just don't have to do that anymore. I've, I've doing other parts of photography for my life and it's, um, and I'm enjoying that. And I've heard you say that it's really the story you love telling the most and even the backstory behind the photos that you're, you're putting out. Um, what makes a great story in your mind? Everyone's got a story. You just got to um, spend time to listen to them and, and talk to them. Like everyone has a story. So it's, I find it kind of inspiring super inspirational what have people go through to achieve what they do like i did a job yesterday for i was up in perth and um my mate's got a company called banfield won't go into it but one of the um fighters that's that uses is jack Del, della maladena have you heard of him he's from perth he's fights in the usc i think he's fighting um gilbert burns in about two weeks so he's no he's no slouch like, and, and what's, what's his what's his name Jack Della Maladena. <laughs> it's, he's got a, he's got a, yeah, JDM. But, you know, it's the first time I ever got to meet him. Would I would never meet a person like that and get to talk to them about their story without photography. And that's just an example that's come to mind. And, you know, and finding out his mindset, like imagine what he has to go through to get to where he has done. Like people like critics and um, people that work in the media criticising, you know, people such as fighters, they're the 1%. Like if you're in the UFC, you, you, you can fight. Like <laughs> you're incredible. You might not be the world champ, but you're up there and you've got a journey. It's, it's an, I just don't criticise people like that because I know I can't do it and I have no ambition to do it especially at my age but to see someone like him from perth it's just a a gym out in an industrial area he's helping other crew and he's about to fight go over to america to fight someone for the ufc it's just mind-boggling and then they've got guys that are in the gym that i was watching that are working their asses off to fight in like a local the local league or whatever you want it's it's such a journey and you get to meet people like that through photography. And I'm just more interested in how they get there because it just doesn't happen overnight for, for anyone. Absolutely. I don't know, is there such a freak? I don't think so. When yeah. you break it down, everyone's achieved something by that journey. And it's just, the journey is the most important part. You get, to, like, you'll have a goal and then you, you get to the goal and you think, oh, is that it? But when you reflect on the journey to it, that's the amazing part. It was the same thing when I got that shot at the riot. It's like, that was great for about three hours. But what's next? You've got to come up with what's next. It's not, it's not really that big a deal. But when you think about what you went through to get to it, that's the, uh, that's the important part for me. Great, great wisdom. And the what, what next, uh, a Desert Light Foundation is your foundation. Uh, how did that come about? Yeah, it's just, it sort of come about by accident. I have a, um, a couple of close friends I work with 
Quinn and Susie Beardman, and they have a foundation for music, and they've been doing that for like 10 years. And Quinn wanted me to come up and document what he did for his website, you know, for content. And um, it's pretty much exactly what he's taken music to these kids to entice them to come to school. And music's so much fun. And so I went up and started working with him, documenting what he'd done. And then on the sides, started teaching photography to the kids that weren't involved in the music. You know, they'd be sitting in the corner, they're quiet, go up to them, do you want to hold the camera? And then just started seeing what the kids did. Like I'm trying to get photos of these kids and, you know, they're a little bit reserved. They've only just met me. Give a camera to one of their mates and see how they go. They start going crazy on the drums. I'm like, where was my shot for that? And sort of, so I did that for quite a few years and um, he just turned, I wanted to incorporate photography into his charity and he just turned around one day and said, look, I think you've got something here. The teachers want you to come up, teach the kids or come into schools where uh, kids have had a, a pretty hard start to life. And, and so it just evolved into it. And we've, me and my wife run the foundation now. So I was just at a school the other day. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, do that three or four days a week, working, and they're just getting, it's pretty basic. Like, there's the trigger. You can press the button, and then it evolves, and then the kids start learning. And I'm trying to get in with a an older group where you're more of a mentor, and they really want to take photography to another level. So if we can introduce that to the foundation the next um, six months, that'll be good. But you, you, it takes you back when you start because the, the kids are so stoked on it. And some of the kids, they'll take a shot. It'll be totally overexposed or underexposed. It'll be black or be, the whole screen will be white. And they're like, yeah, that's the one I want to print. I'm like, well, that's, that's good. You can print this one. There's no right or wrong, really, is there? That's what they like. Just because I like a photo doesn't mean they like my shots. And, and I do a little bit of breath work with them as well to sort of introduce them. Like, this is the kind of work I do. And um, what's the hardest part about getting this surf shot? And, um, you know, they'll come up with all different things. I said, what about holding your breath and learning how to breathe? So you can sneak that into it as well. Because they don't, they don't learn that, you know. They don't learn how to control their emotions by breathing. Whereas, whereas we can, you know, we're a bit older. They just never had the tools. Incredible. So you're going uh, in the local area in, in, in Western Australia, or are you going outside and kind of, um, are you going to the school multiple times or is it kind of a one-time shot? I'm interested in this. Yeah, no, not a one-time. Sorry. Yeah, I'm in about four or five schools. So I go there um, four or five times a term at each school. So drive up. Like there's not much, there's not much around here that I've got involved in yet. I, I'm going to introduce that, but so a couple of schools in Perth, one out in the the country, uh, one up at North, and then uh, Quinn has quite a few schools for his music foundation, and I'll tag along with him on the occasional um, time too. So that might be a one off to see how it goes, but the other schools I'm in, it's uh, yeah, they're they're all on a program. They've all got different programs, and they've all got different needs. So I just just work with them and I'm not a I'm not a teacher I'm just more like a, a semi-mentor could be an excuse for them to get out of mass and English 
And what is the one thing that you try to drive home most when you do this teaching? Basically, you can do anything in life, really. Like, they don't have that. I don't think that's in their repertoire at the moment. Like, they wouldn't even be thinking that they could be a photographer or I don't want them to be a photographer. It's, it's not the point. I just, like, they can do anything if they put their mind to it. And that's where I've... And so I use, you know, I've documented this person's life. He's a fighter. I've documented that person's life. They're a doctor. Look what they can do. This is where they started from. So you you basically need to change the narrative of what they believe because they do come from some broken homes and unforeseen circumstances. So, you know, their beliefs might have been smashed out of them. Who knows? You know, the teachers are doing an amazing job. It's just like if you've got kids, you want to introduce them to, like, people that can start influencing them or, or making them believe they can do anything. It's, it's basically that. And camera's just the tool to do it. And you have three, three kids? Yeah, I've got three kids. One just turned 24. They're not really kids. And then I've got Tavian. He's Kalani. Tavian's just turned 21. He does filming does video work, extremely good at what he does. Hates shooting and surfing though. And then um, I've got a daughter that's 16 going on 26. <laughs> She's good as well. She's very fiery like her older brother. But they're all good. They're all pretty um, focused at what they do. Really good kids. And that's more because the mum, the mum's good, real good. And, and you raised them as surfers and how did they take to it? No, no raising the surfers. Just I didn't want to push any of my stuff onto them. Kalani surfs, he runs, he boxes. The oldest does all the sports. He was a skateboarder, got into surfing from when we did a trip to the US. I was never pushing him into anything. I want them to find their journey. I, I'm not a big fan of what I call the soccer dad, um, where they, they pick a sport for their kid, they film them, they sometimes you can tell the kid's not happy with what they're doing. If the kid's happy to do it, that's fine. But um, I just want them to find their own journey. It's the same as Tavian. He's a skateboarder, picked up a camera, and he loves to film. That's not because of me. He, that's what he found. And my daughter will find what she wants to do too. So I'm just happy for – they just got to find what makes them feel good. I, I just don't – I don't want – you know, you see a lot of kids burn out because – I mean, to make it your basic, like you, if you, you want your kid to be a pro golfer, you're going to be having to hit the ball a pretty early age, really. But those kids tend to love it. If they love going to the golf course and they love playing golf with their friends, so be it. They'll become pro golfers probably. But I, for mine, it was just my kids found things later on in life and they're good at what they do, yeah. And was this always your mentality or did you discover it along the way as, as a father? Well, you, you can be out in the surf and there might be a couple of kids out there and they're, they're getting filmed because they're getting pushed out there and you just tell, you can just tell they're not in a good place. They don't want to be there. They're getting forced into it. That's in every sport. I'm not just surfing. I, I, I've seen that. I remember seeing that when I was playing league and I was walking to training and... Um, I think it would have been like under 12 soccer 
And I was just watching as I was going past and this goalkeeper let a goal in. The goal's huge compared to a 12-year-old. No, I wouldn't have saved it. And this dad was just roasting this kid. I was about 20 at the time, roasting him for letting this goal in. You can do this, you can do that. And then the dad left and I said to the kid, look, I wouldn't have um, saved that, you know, good effort. And he started to smile. So I learned that at an early age that I don't want to be like that. Like that's... I wonder what that kid's doing now, you know. Maybe he is. He's probably playing for Australia. He's probably the goalkeeper for Australia. But it's uh, – I just didn't want to be that person. It's uh, And you see that, like I said, in every single sport. If you're around a sport, uh, rugby league have it, um, every single sport has it. Like It's like the dad. I'm, I'm picking on the dads. There's probably mums. There's definitely mums there as well. They've never done it in their life. So they're forcing the kids to do it. That's how I feel. And But sometimes the, the dad maybe will know what it takes to become an elite level. So it's a catch-22. Well, thank you for that advice. I have a three-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 12-year-old. And uh, it's a... You That's know. a good gap. Yeah, it's, it's a special, special time. But, like, you know, I, I love surfing. I'm not originally from the beach. So here I'm here we are at the beach now and i'm like guys this this is it but i i need to remind myself a lot that like they need to find this stoke in themselves and um yeah they'll so, tend to they'll tend to find the stoke because you've got the stoke you know you're going down do they surf uh they they all do except for the four-year-old he's you know he'll get out there someday but the other two there they stay they can paddle into their own waves so from here on i feel i've done my job and um like last last summer, my, my daughter was like, come on, let's get out there. And like, I felt like I was pushing her too much. It was almost like giving it, giving it out. And uh, so I've taken this new mentality the last 12 months of like, there's the board. If you want to do it, do it. And, you know, she's kind of found a cross country running as her own thing. And um, I'm, you know, driver to it every day, supportive. And uh, that's kind of where yeah. we're at. Yeah, it's they, they, they do need a little bit of a push, but it's a fine line, isn't it? It's a tough as a parent, you, there's no, there's no book to, this is how you do it. You've got to just learn on the run, especially the oldest. Why well, I say to my oldest, um, I've seen it to him for years. Like he's got the hardest. Yeah. We picked you on, picked on you the most. You're the first. We, oh, we were 25. Like we had no idea what, how to raise a kid. Then we got a better idea on Tavian, what we thought was a better idea, but that might not work on him. And then that might not work on the daughter. So we're evolving as well. So it's uh, it's just the way it is. I'd say to him, it's the way it is. You're like the guinea pig. You're the first kid. <laughs> yeah, the the the, uh, the middle. Like, is there a middle child um, like thing going on with your middle child too? Like, it, was, was there any of that as far as rebellious? No, I don't, I don't think so. My boys just went to Japan snowboarding together, and that's the, their second or third trip there. And so they just travelled. Not really, I don't think it's um no, it's they've all done I think we're a little looser with the daughter because you you, you tend to relax as a parent um on your third one because you've done it twice before. Uh it's just and that's just human nature. It's a no, I don't know if there's a middle child thing. I'd have to ask you, I'll ask him next time. Do you feel do you feel like you never got the attention? Because <laughs> the oldest got it all the youngest. Yeah. 
It's, it's a, nah, he's, he's doing extremely well with his filmmaking, so who knows? Never asked him direct, actually. Good question. All right. Hey, and, and thank you so much for spending all this time. And before I, I let you go into the surf, um, I, I got to talk to you about your gallery. Uh, how, how did that come about? And have you noticed it be a, um, like a big uh, uptick in your work and your notoriety as, as an artist? Um, how, and tell us a little bit about your gallery and how you got there and what it's all about. Well, it was just timing for us. Like we, we definitely weren't looking at doing a gallery. I was out in the surf. I surfed with the winemaker from here. I'm on a winery. And he, he said to me out of the blue, like, do you want to um, do a gallery? We've got an old shed that we don't want to knock down. And they're doing it. They, they, at that stage, they were doing a new build for the cellar door. And I was like, uh, no, I don't want to do a gallery. That's one thing I definitely don't want to do, like a studio or anything like that. But I do need an office because we live in the bush in a small house. So, And then he goes, yeah, we can do a couple of offices. We'll look at And if the price was, if they were going to look after us and it wasn't too crazy, I would do it because it's the perfect, I'm in here now, I'm in my office. It's the perfect place to come to work. And um, so... Yeah, just evolved from that. So we opened up the same time as the cellar door did. And I love being around this kind of environment. Like sometimes you might not have that many people. It's not like you get foot traffic out here because we're out in the, we're out in the country. We're nowhere near anything. So people have to come to the winery and then they tend to come to the gallery, but you definitely meet a different range of people. You kind of, we're certainly evolving. Like they're like when we start, start selling some work and we didn't know it was going to work you see what people actually are attracted to and it's good they're attracted to a lot of the stuff i'm attracted to with colors and light and textures so that's been good and yeah it's just a it is a if you call it a factor it's saying you have your own gallery is quite special we don't do enough marketing we're just learning on the rope so we've, we've only been open for about a year uh, they're just about to build a restaurant here too. So uh, we're going to see a, a range of different people. And you can use the gallery as like I've got the foundation, but I still need to do a little bit of commercial work on the side. So you're meeting people that come in and you can start talking to them. They might have a brand that you can work for. and So it works well for that. But it, it, surf-wise, I'm, like, I'm, not, um, I'm not even shooting any really surfing occasionally the brand things or a portrait here and there for for a mag but apart from that it's not like i'm on on the run trying to hunt surfing but the gallery's been good and it's good to see like every photographer should even just for their own home is is enlarging a piece to like because all the pieces i have in here i'm only doing them once the big pieces so and they're they're solid 150 I, I don't have to talk in inches of you know 60 inches 80 inches and um and once that person gets that piece i never do it again it's kind of special because that's what the ocean to me does you know like that's that wave will never be done again why should i do it 50 times in the gallery and it forces me to go and um find different parts of the ocean to shoot as well so it's been good for that it's kind of like this ongoing personal project, but it's semi a business as well. 
That's incredible to me. So you have the, you have a large catalog, but how much of your catalog have, have you sold out of your, of your space? Or is this just now, like you said, forcing you to pop new work on the wall? Well, I'll go and look for new work and, and I'm shooting with like medium formats, you know, water housing. So I'm, I'm looking at different detail and, and being able to blow up to enlarge so people can walk up to the piece and see every little speck. So it, it changes the way you shoot a bit and especially um, the medium formats are quite slow in the water. But it's um, I've probably sold, I don't know, 15, 16 major pieces. So... It, it's not a big deal. It's like it's a glorified office. If I, we can sell a bit more, it would definitely help with rent. That'd be good. But it's not a big deal if it doesn't. So I've got a big catalogue, um, but I personally get bored of it because I've seen it. So it, I want to go and shoot other stuff. And um, and you kind of got to sit on it for a little bit too because, you know, you might get something that on the day you think, oh, that's, that's incredible, but... but um, is it going to be incredible tomorrow or is it going to be incredible next week? So it's quite good. And it just, I've been doing a little bit lately and it's, it, it takes you back. It's a good feeling because I've been swimming out to main break, which is a fair swim at Mark's out in the dark and um, trying to catch a um, speed blues. I should swim out to the box. I haven't swum out to the box for a while, probably early last year. And are you using, uh, experimenting with flash at all during these times? Yeah, I have experimented with flash. Um, I just did a job for Fujifilm, like a campaign. So I used the flash there, uh, but it's off camera flash. So I need another swimmer. So it makes it a bit hard. I'll get my son to do it most of the time. So it's been good. I've got, I've had one on the wall that hasn't sold that I, I, uh, I was swimming and we got the flash on the jet ski. So that was pretty good. That one turned out well. So you get to experiment and it doesn't really matter if it doesn't work out. Just go back to the drawing board and figure it out. So you're only doing off-camera flash? Yeah. No on-camera? Yeah. No on-camera flash, nah. nah is there, is there a reason? Oh, it just allows me to do different things, put the flash in different positions and, and, and try different things. And I've always done that. Like I've, that's what I did uh, for Fuji this last campaign off camera flash, but I was working with an athlete with a surfer as well. So you can, you know, you can back light and you put the flash wherever you want. It's good. It doesn't have to be with me. Epic. And what are you printing on for your pieces? The medium? Well, we've, we did a lot of stuff at the start and I was quite surprised about canvas, like framed canvas, like it, floating framed canvas has been probably the, the winner. Um, they're light. They, they look good. The prints are great. I prefer to uh, have a, a print behind non-reflective glass framed. looks good. It's quite heavy though. Uh, but, but yeah, the canvas has done pretty well. Because I wasn't Love a big it. fan of canvas. I did a few in the early days and I thought they looked shit. But um, now, just with technology and they, they're looking really, they look mint, like lots of detail. And are you printing there or uh, you have a, a supplier there in Perth? No, I have a lab, Fitzgerald's Photo Lab in Perth. I've been with them for like 22 years, 23 years. Uh, 
I'd love to kind of do a bit of my stuff, but I don't have any problems. Like I'd rather pay more for the quality and those guys have evolved with technology as well. Like they're printing on, you know, millions of dollars of machinery yeah. and they've got the framing. I, I have none of those headaches. This is my image. This is what I want. And I get the final product. Yeah. It's more expensive because you're paying for quality, but it's, um, it's worth it. And you know, and they, you know, they employ 10, 15 people who knows. So that's good too. And a lot of people use them. It's, um, I've got my own printer for smaller stuff, but it's tiny, no, no, no large scale. Uh, have you seen any of the, um, uh, sublimation, the ink sublimation on to aluminum where they print it in reverse and then it comes out, uh, and what do you think about that? Yeah, all the products look good for sure. There's so many things we want to explore. We're just about to do a, quite a big piece. It's um, a collaboration with a steel artist. So it's metal and glass. So I'm, I'm printing something about three metres, which is 300 centimetres. Don't know what that is in inches tall. It's quite big. That's about a story and a half tall on glass. And um, he's encasing it in a metal frame. So that should be interesting, but it's, um, yeah, there's, there's so many amazing products out there. It's just a like, you know what it's like, it's not cheap to do. And you're taking a gamble just cause you like it. It could sit on the wall for a year. No one else likes it. <laughs> no one knows the story behind it. No one cares. That look, that looks good with my sofa. That's what it needs to be. Yep. I know this well, uh, Russell, do it again. I cannot thank you enough. I have one final question. Uh, what is the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? It's, I, it's a tough one. That, that is a super tough one. I think just the um, experience and experience what you can and, in, and enjoy as much as you can. Take a few chances. And um, yeah, it, yeah, just experience what life has to offer and do it now because there might not be a tomorrow. That's how, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing because I've seen it firsthand. Like you can have the best life in the world and you might, that might be gone tomorrow. It's, it's that quick. So if you want to go around Australia in a camper van and you want to do that when you retire from work in 25 years, change tack get the camper van, get in it and go. Russell Ord, the, the, I cannot thank you enough for your time here. Uh, you, you've totally uh, enlightened us all and um, we cannot thank you enough. I probably rambled on a bit. Sorry about that. Uh, bro, probably a few. Uh, and... <laughs> no, cheers for having me. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate bro, it's a it's a great platform you, you're running. It, it takes a lot of work to run a podcast. I had a, I wanted to do a podcast with Warren Keelan and I think we interviewed one, pe one person. And, <laughs> and What an epic podcast that was. We thank Russell Ord so much for joining us and delivering such amazing content. If you found this podcast enjoyable, please like and subscribe to Speaking From Water. Uh, on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, this podcast was simulcast on a classic media network 
We're happy to be involved with a classic and we encourage you to find them on Instagram and all social channels, including TikTok, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a great day wherever you are, whenever you're listening. Peace.